Our first reading for today is from Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Our second reading is from Proverbs 22, verse 9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Next is from Isaiah 41, verse 17. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Third reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with, with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Last verse is from John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so, must, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. As we've been trying to grow in compassion toward the poor, one of the things we need to remember is that blessing comes to those who reach out, who risk, and give themselves to the poor. There are many, many words in the Bible that talk about the poor and God's heart for the poor. And many of those passages also speak about the blessing that comes from God to us when we show compassion. The Lord rewards those who are kind to the poor and blesses those who are generous toward them. Now, our own gain is not our primary motivation. That's not why we care for the poor, for what's in it for us. But in helping our brother or sister in need, we show the love of God and we put ourselves in a place where we are in God's favor. Want to make God happy? Bless the poor. Help them. Pay attention to them. It takes love, it takes courage, it takes compassion. Jesus said, you will always have the poor. And the poor are not all the same. There are many faces to the poor. But one large segment of the poor are the homeless. Jesus was homeless for part of his life. He and his parents were refugees. He was an infant as they were fleeing from Herod's terror in Palestine. Later, Jesus said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, speaking of himself. 2.5 million children and their families will experience homelessness this year in this country. 
how do we view the homeless? How do we treat them? Do we know anyone who's homeless? Should we as Christians know anyone who is homeless? We're very grateful to have Tony Milner with us this morning. Tony was the director of Family Promise for 10 years. Family Promise is a faith-based homeless shelter helping homeless and low-income families achieve sustainable independence, and MOPC is a part of that ministry. You can go out in the gathering area today and sign up to be a part of this ministry, participate in it, and um, be a life giver and, and love people who are homeless. Tony's now the Director of Case Management and Housing Services at Utah Community Action. He helps the poor with um, homeless housing assistance to, so that uh, evictions and homelessness are prevented. He's a member of Holiday United Church of Christ. Um, he's also part of the Salt Lake Interfaith Roundtable, the Coalition of Religious Communities, and the Salt Lake County's Collective Impact Steering Committee on homelessness. We are glad to welcome this morning Tony Milner to Mount Olympus Church. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Good morning. morning. Thank you so much for the introduction. Thank you so much for the invitation to be part of this wonderful series. Um, This this isn't my first time here uh, at Mount Olympus. I've got the opportunity to come here many different times, and I always greatly enjoy my time. And I also know of the good work that you guys do with Family Promise, as well as other local ministries, but then also what you guys do globally. So I am absolutely honored to be with you this morning, to worship with you, and to share a little bit about my stories and my insight into homelessness. Um, As Pastor Phil said, is that, yes, for the past 10 years, I was with a wonderful organization that you guys still participate with, Family Promise. Uh, Family Promise was extremely near and dear to my heart. I loved seeing the families and the kids that came through our shelter program. I loved working with the interfaith community who took on the burden to give the hospitality. It was a fantastic collaboration, community coming together to help those in need. Um, and especially, too, working with the families once they got out, once we helped them get into a place, we, did it, we were the only ones, and still are, that do a two-year aftercare program in Family Promise to make sure that they're uh, really tackling those life uh, skills that are going to help them for self-sufficiency. Nobody else is doing that. It's a fantastic program. Basically, once they leave, almost 90% are still housed and have worked on uh, measurements and steps towards self-sufficiency. It was really hard to leave Family Promise. Uh, Utah Community Action had an opening. They asked me to come on over. And like whenever you deal with a big decision, you kind of get really quiet on the inside and you listen to your heart. And my heart said, yes, this is something that you need to do. With this organization, I love you. uh, Pastor Phil kind of mentioned exactly what we do. Um, I got to work, be working with Family Promise with hundreds of people, and I get to work with thousands of people. And so that was kind of a big, that was a big reason too to kind of jump into this new position. But I just can't stress enough of what all the amazing work that we're doing, uh, let alone rent and deposit assistance to keep uh, people in their place or move them out of homelessness and then get them into, their, into a housing situation. We have a special program that's just for people with AIDS. We, ha- we go to the food banks and we actually reach, do reach out to the food banks to see if there's anybody there that we can really could benefit from housing and case management services. We actually have a program at the housing authority to that way in, people, in case people are going to fall back into homelessness and lose that section, that subsidized housing, which we don't want. We try to keep, make sure that we bring in case management to keep that place as well. 
Uh, we do a special program at the Road Home Palmer Court. That's a special three-year-long program to really do some massive amounts of change for individuals who are chronically homeless. Uh, we also do an amazing free service, a housing locator, because sometimes it's kind of hard to find a place if you have bad credit, if you have an eviction. Uh, we do that. We also do a mediator, which is free. So basically the mediator calls up the landlord, calls up the tenant and says, can we work this out? Can we set up a payment plan? Nobody wants to go to court and have this family be evicted and have their life turned upside down. Can we work on this? Another great program that we're doing too is we're actually doing a diversion program. It's a partnership with the Road Home. Basically, we're at the Middell Shelter. The normal process is to say, uh, you know, you've, you've presented for shelter, you know, let's get you a bed never come on inside. But instead, they, they say, do, do me a favor, actually go talk to Utah Community Action's diversion specialist and see what they have to offer. Through our questionnaire, through our assistance, we're basically able to say, is, have you fully exhausted all of your options to stay someplace tonight? Are there any other resources, friends, family that you can stay with them? Because yes, shelter is an option, but it's a very traumatic experience. Even one night in the shelter is a very traumatic experience. It's just the way it is. So the less time in shelter, if we can divert them back to a place where they possibly could stay, then we still help them with housing assistance as well. Since November, since we've been doing that program, over half of the people that have come through that have presented to the shelter never came into shelter because we were able to divert them. This is our commitment as an agency to be creative, to be responsive. The homeless issue right now is very front and center, and a lot of times there's, is there look, everyone's looking around to see what exactly is going on, what, what, can we do, what can be done at Rio Grande, Pioneer Park, and Fifth, and Fifth West, because if you drive in that area, it's, it's very scary right now. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of despair, and, but there are ways that we can help, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So that's what I've been doing. That is, that I sit in a lot of meetings all day long, sit there and talk about where the possible new uh, homeless shelters are going to be located. There's a lot of fighting going on. If you, if you guys are, have picked up, been anywhere near a paper, um, it's one of those hot-button issues of where are we going to actually build a shelter, who's going to build it, where are they going to build it. It's the ultimate political hot potato. Nobody wants to deal with it. But then you always have to circle it back and bring it back to that there are people suffering on the street right now. What can we do? Are we going to do nothing? I hope not. So that's, uh, so that's a little bit about my experience working with the homeless. Uh, I can talk to you about that a little bit more. But I kind of want to talk about the, the scriptures, uh, the scriptures that were just up on the screen a little bit, a little bit ago that we went over. When I, Pastor Phil invited me, he also said, uh, if there's a certain scripture that you'd like to highlight and kind of speak to what kind of really motivates you to do the work, work working with the homeless, uh, we can talk about that as well. And so I kind of thought, and my very first one that came to my mind was John 13. And then I, and then I was kind of laughing later. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a little like Sunday school, like love one another. And it's like, yeah, okay. But then it made me kind of do that, pro that exercise to think, okay, so why do I really like this? Let me break this down a little bit. Love one another because, that is, because through that, that is how you will know me. By, by which you will know me. And I like that. I like that. It's very directive in that sense. By this, all men know that you are my disciples. In, in the creation of the church, at this very critical time, you can, you can think about, there were so many different ways that Christ could have said, you know, I want you to go out into the world and spread the gospel, and I want people to know who you are. So he could have said, grow your hair long. Every, every, all of my disciples grow your hair long or cut your hair short, wear funny hats, 
wear uh, tunics that go all the way down to the floor and wear purple tunics. Um, wear shoes, don't wear shoes. Uh, eat certain foods, don't eat certain foods. Uh, those are all these like physical outward appearances of like, by this, people will know that you are my disciples. But then he turns it, then it's not even, uh, it's not even uh, like monetary or society. He's not saying have the biggest house on the block because uh, gain as much power as possible. Work as hard as you can because then that's, by this, people will know that you are my disciples. Instead, it comes down to this issue of love. All right, great. What is love? How do we demonstrate love? Can I simply just basically... Every time I see someone, I just give them a hug, tell them that I love them. Do, uh, every time I write an email or a phone call conversation before I end up, hang up and say, oh, love you. So what truly is love? And then I love, too, that there's not, it's not quantifiable. He's not saying, I want you to do one act, a, a deed of love per day. It's not quantifiable. There's no, there's no restrictions. Um, what he says, too, it leaves it open for interpretation. What is love? What, how do we demonstrate love for our loved ones? How do we give back love to ourselves? How do we love our neighbors? How do we love our community? How do we demonstrate love? But then, how do we demonstrate love to the stranger and the stranger that is the homeless? Working with Family Promise, it was an amazing experience, which, I, again, I greatly miss because every night we have volunteers that come in and we have people who do dinner and the volunteers are usually kind of, what do I do? How do I serve the meal? What do I, do I eat with the families? Eat with the families. And so I kind of loved seeing that squirming because, because it is difficult, it is uncomfortable, but that is the direct action of love. It's not giving hugs. It's not uh, dotting all of your eyes with a heart. Love and service go hand in hand. And Christ knew exactly that he wanted us to be uncomfortable, to not fully know how to navigate sitting down with someone, especially a stranger, that you're not going to be able to fix overnight. Homeless people were not able to fix their situation overnight. But what can we do? Do we give them a dollar? Do we give them $10? Do we don't give them anything? What we can do, what we've been instructed to do, is to give them love. Go to that place in your heart, and then, and then you all know how to give love. Every, everyone here knows exactly how to give love. You get, quiet, you get quiet, and you listen to your heart, the symbol of love, and you go from there. So that is when, that's what's guided me. That's what keeps me going, doing this fantastic work, helping lives. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable, but it needs to be done. I didn't ask you this in the first service, um, but I don't want to pull any punches either. So on your head, do you use a one guard or a two guard? How do you? So there's actually... Just a little talk. We, can we just talk for a second and bond? There's actually a special guard, which is 116th. 116th? Never even heard of it. Special. Special order. I'm already learning something. I'll, I'll get you one. Thank you. What's the face of homelessness in Salt Lake City? You know, we just say a homeless person, but who are, who's a homeless person here? What are they like? What's their, what's their background? Where are they from? Um, 
there are probably some misunderstandings maybe most of us have about people who are homeless. Yeah, excellent question. Obviously, the face of homelessness that most people are familiar with is that person who is on the side of the exit ramp holding up a sign, and that is immediately the face of homelessness. So one, there's that, and I want to come back to that. But the reality of the face of homelessness is families with children. In the state of Utah, every year, about 15,000 individuals experience homelessness. The majority are children uh, in families. That means parents as well, usually young families, young parents. The, they originate from Utah. A lot of times there's confusion saying that there's a lot of people coming from out of state. The, you add up all the numbers, the majority originate from Utah, which then means that this is a community effort. So with that said, though, so we have a face, let's kind of break it apart, the face of the guy holding the sign on the side of the road, the face of children who are experiencing homelessness. Both of them, both of them, both of them, daily is a struggle for all of us, especially me, and I'm not perfect, and I don't, I don't have my job done to, to the T. It is so difficult to always kind of look past who they are and see them for the, who they really are. They are children of God. They have love. They have passion. They have joys. They have skills. They have creativity. They are our future. And it is hard to be in that moment, when you're, especially when you're talking to someone who is chronically homeless and they have halitosis and they're asking you for a dollar. And just to kind of have that moment to probably take their hand and, again, give what you want to give. Give nothing. Give some go off of what your heart says, but then always leave them with that moment of, I see you, I'm listening to you, I recognize exactly who you are, a child of God. Mm-hmm. Family promise, families come into a church, and uh, you've talked about dinner, and you say, I'm, I'm a volunteer, I come, and, yeah. and I know you're not with, by the way, Eric is here from Family Promise, the new director, yes, and we want to welcome Eric. And after the service, uh, he'd love to talk with you. So I come, and uh, oh my gosh, there's families sitting down to dinner, and you want me to eat with them? Absolutely. W- what do I say? What, what could I possibly talk about? It's funny. We actually train families because, I th- one, a couple things. Usually some of there's other volunteers. And it gets really easy to kind of have that border between like, oh, we're the volunteers. We're just going to make the dinner. Like you families, we're here to serve you, which is what we're taught to do. That's what we're there. We're going to serve you. But then they instantly set up this line of like, no, no, don't help. We'll take care of it. We'll serve you in just a little bit. And then there's that dynamic. We're always trying to break down that dynamic. Family style. No, here, here, come, come stir this pot. Can you, can you come chop, chop this, et cetera, et cetera. Let's kind of come together. Because then that's when natural conversation happens. There's that. When it's time to sit down, we always say offer a word of grace. That's a great way to kind of bring everybody together and to kind of close off everyone's crazy days to come together. But then we have to then teach the volunteers not to go into the normal questions that is so natural for us to go into of where do you live? Where do you work? <laughs> and you can see sometimes the volunteers like want to kind of like go, go there like, uh, uh, and they kind of have to think for a minute. And so instead, we train the volunteers to just to be very topical because it, the conversation is going to come out. And again, when you, when you first see the volunteers, they're usually kind of like this, and they're just not sure of what they should be doing, what they should say. 
but then by the end, talk about sports, talk about the weather, talk about latest movies, talk about the children. Oh, you have a seven-year-old? I have a seven-year-old too. It instantly kind of comes out, and usually, and Eric can attest to this, at the end of the evening, usually everyone's friends. They're all sitting around, they're having a little bit of dessert. More conversation has kind of come up. They've found that common ground. It's not scary anymore, mm. but it is scary at the very mm. beginning. Mm. So embrace, mm -hmm. embrace the, the fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there are those who say, you know, homeless people, they bring it on themselves because mom's been an addict or dad is making bad decisions, he's drinking. Uh, and do you find some of these families, they have brought it on themselves? Is that true? Is that not true? But, uh, and, and where's that balance between compassion and accountability? So I can definitely say full-heartedly that no one, no family wakes up and says, I'm going to move out of my apartment and go camp in the woods and become a heroin addict, and I'm going to drag my kid along with the process, and we might not eat for a couple of days. And that's never a conscious choice. I'm always trying to express to individuals and those here where it's that homelessness is a very complex situation. There's a complex reason of what got them into that situation. Sometimes people ask, like, so what, who are the homeless? And I think we love it sometimes, or it's just easier sometimes if it was, oh, remember that big, huge factory that closed down that used to employ everybody? That, that closed down and people are in hard times, they're falling into homelessness. That uh, hurricane, that tornado, the, the flood, something that, because that's such a tangible thing, the flood flooded their house, they're now homeless, they, they are quote-unquote homeless. But for the regular general population of the homeless is that it's been years and years and years and years of an experience where they've slowly gotten down into a homeless situation, and when they're reaching homelessness, they're rock bottom. There's pretty much no more further to go. So do they deserve that? Absolutely not. Do the children deserve that in that situation? Absolutely not. And so that's where organizations like us are basically here to say, we're so sorry that you've gotten down to this situation. Let us help you get to a better path. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People say, well, I think we, we think in this nation, which has so many opportunities and uh, so many good things, you know, if, if you got a job and you're working full time and you work hard, you're not going to be homeless. There's no way you should be homeless. But that's not always true, is it? Why is that, Tony? The, uh, there's the myth of just the job. If you just get a job, then everything's going to be taken care of. Employment, income, yes, absolutely does uh, wonders for families. But then you think about with families and their situation, they're already low income. They're barely getting by. Maybe they have kids, so one of them has to stay home. They can't afford childcare plus uh, other expenses. Uh, the cost of living, the cost of rent, uh, transportation, medical expenses is outrageous and it's not comparable to living wages right now. So we help someone get a job. They get a job, but then it's always, it's always a bad job. It's always the graveyard shift, not near a bus line, and you got to work on your feet all day long. And if you're late one day, you're going to be fired from that job. Okay, thank goodness, but he, get, but he gets a job. Then he gets his very first paycheck, and it's going to be small as it is, and then there's 30% of it has been garnished from a time that four years ago they took the kids to the emergency room, and they didn't have insurance. And so now that emergency bill has turned into a collection, and now that's showing up on their garnishment. Then, to know, too, they start thinking about, 
okay, there's this garnishment, which is going to end in a year, but then there's also probably about three more garnishments waiting to happen. You can see it in their eyes of just kind of, I don't think this system is going to work. I don't see a way for this to be able to work. I've tried and I've tried, but everywhere I go, I get high interest loans or I get told no or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can just see that there, yes, the job is wonderful, but it's not the only answer. And that's where Family Promise, my other organization, Utah Community Action, we're looking at the holistic picture. Mm-hmm. We're asking them exactly, you know, if you don't have insurance, do not access the emergency rooms unless you are uh, bleeding or have passed out. Uh, and we literally sit down with them, like, where are you living? Where's your area? These are the nearest Instacares. This is how much they cost. This is how to get affordable medication. Okay, good. You need affordable childcare? These are some places. And we literally try to map everything out to stretch out their budget for their minimum wages to make the high cost of living. From time to time, we get families that will call us here at Mount Olympus Church and um, a mother or father. Oftentimes, I think it's a woman. And um, she says, I have two or three kids. Maybe she's single, maybe she isn't. And we're going to be evicted you know, tomorrow if we don't pay this rent and whatever. Um, we're obviously not set up as a homeless organization that, to solve that. But what should we tell people who call us? Or sometimes maybe we know people or we, exp- we find people at work or in our neighborhood or community and we hear this. How should we respond? What can we do? let alone the people who actually come to the church seeking services. And I always like to say this to a group when I'm talking to a group like this, because we're talking about this, you know, this population of homeless. In fact, you can still see the image of the, of the man that's you know, sleeping on the street. We think that's the, that's the issue that we're talking about right now. I like to broaden it up and open it up to basically know, and I do know without, without doubt that everyone in this room has been touched by issues of poverty, of homelessness, of despair. It's something that affects all of our lives, and it's not an outside issue. It's an issue that unfortunately touches everyone. So what do we do? Um, what can we do? As a, someone calls us, someone comes to the church, exactly. hey, I'm going to be evicted tomorrow. Exactly. Sorry, I can't help you. Boy, I hate, the, I hate that. So then you reach out to fantastic organizations like mine that basically with our tenant landlord mediator, who is then able to, to get in touch with the landlord and the tenant to see about keeping them in their place. Mm-hmm. So yes, and so I will send Pastor Phil all of our information because another thing too for all of you is 211. 211 is a great resource line that basically anyone can call and just that, and if you're helping a coworker, if you're helping a neighbor, if you have someone that comes to the church, just take a moment and say, let's just call 211 and let's just see about your options. And as I've had said to me, Call 211. I called them. They didn't help me. They weren't helpful at all. What do I say? What do we do? What do you think is going on there? I bet you got some experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because basically, because someone who's needing rent right now or they're going to get evicted, they want rent right now. Mm-hmm. And so they go through different options. They call our agency. They tell them to say, talk to the mediator. No, I don't want to talk to the mediator. I need the rent. Because, again, we're trying to look at the bigger picture. We can't pay rent until the eviction is taken back because we can't just pay and then still have them be evicted, and they need to work out exactly. There's a lot of education that we have to do, too. Homelessness is such a fluid issue, too. People kind of forget. There's no such, like, classic 
there's someone who's like sleeping in their car versus sleeping on their mother's couch, but then the mother lives in subsidized housing and she's gonna be evicted too if they, if they don't get out. Um, they thought that they had a roommate agreement that was good for a couple of six months, uh, but then all of a sudden now the roommate said, nope, you and your kids get out. It's such a fluid experience and they're trying and they're trying, they're trying, they're trying to wait for their paycheck to come through or other assistance to come through to get back into a place. And so by the time they're actually calling us, they've kind of exhausted all of their options. But we still want to make sure that you have you really explored all of your different options. There are tremendous, tremendous aid agencies here in Utah that do fantastic work. And uh, sometimes they are full, sometimes they're not eligible, but then you gotta make sure that you're covering the full range. Because then part of it too, what we're always trying to do too, is that let's, I'm gonna help you solve your solution instead you need to know the different places. You need to be eligible. You need to follow up with their meetings. You need to pay a portion, et cetera, et cetera. This is something that together that we can do. We're not just taking care of the situation for you. Churches aren't case managers and homelessness. We're not set up like that, but we do have love. We're supposed to love. I think we do have love. Love of Christ, the love God shows to us to share with others. What can churches, are there practical things churches can do to break down the wall between homeless people and, and our churches? Because there's not a lot of homeless people that come to Mount Olympus Church. And there's not a lot of homeless people that go to other churches either. Um, what can we do? What are some things you would tell us to do, Tom? First and foremost, just know that there is an enormous untapped capacity for what you guys can do for the homeless issue. Why the homeless issue out of other missions and other, uh, other ministries? Um, these are folks who are at the lowest, lowest point in our community. And that hurts a little bit. I don't know about you, but it hurts me a little bit. I, the system has worked for me. I've worked well in the system. I have a car that works. My kid goes to a wonderful school. I live on a tight budget, but I'm making it happen. And so it hurts me to see when someone in our society, and knowing that there's so many different aid organizations that are there to help, and so many different programs for the families, for the kids, and when someone has just absolutely reached rock bottom, one, one thing that churches can do is just recognize that, that there's still potential in the worst case scenario. You don't just cherry pick and go, oh, this family, they just need a little bit of rent and help. We're gonna help them and that's a success. Even the worst, worst chronically homeless person has potential and is in need of and deserves love. There's that. I also say too, is just recognize daily, daily count your blessings of all the good that you have in your life. This morning I went to my car, my car wasn't broken into, I opened it up, my car started, I have gasoline, the tires weren't flat, I drove straight here, um, the car didn't break or fall apart. Uh, I have license on the uh, license and insurance on the car. I have a valid driver's license. All these things, and if you didn't have any of those things, how much harder your life becomes. The families in, that we work with, they usually don't have a car or they have almost all of those problems. And that's just a daily struggle and it's a daily weight that they have to carry. So I always express too, if you don't have those weights in your life, take ownership, take stock and just go, I am, for the simple, the simple thing is that my car started this morning, I am blessed. And then how can I then turn around and bless others? It's such, it's complicated, isn't it, homelessness? And it's a huge mountain. Uh, you've been doing it for a long time. How do you, how do you keep going? How do you not lose hope? 
how do you keep coming back every day saying, I want to make a difference? What keeps me going, uh, working at Family Promise and even with my new organization, is the volunteers. It's the volunteers uh, from the churches and from the community. It was amazing daily got to be humbled by the fact of how much time and energy and effort that the congregations put into the Family Promise program to give a nice, warm, hospitable place for the families. Absolutely amazed, daily humbled. I would hear all the amazing, wonderful stories how volunteers would go out of their way to even make their stay even a little bit nicer. Two is the actual working with the clients. The clients come to you and they are just a ball of stress and depression and you get to see that ball slowly move away because you're helping them bit by bit. Um, what keeps me going too is just knowing that, you know, this is an issue that I care greatly about and I have to ask myself every single day and I try to ask my staff this too, we wanna help them, okay, so are we building walls or are we building ladders over those walls? And so every time we're, every time we're doing our whole focus, and we, if we're gonna do a program, if we're gonna ask them to do something, is this actually going to help their situation, is it gonna, uh, or is this going to be another burden for them? So uh, the daily challenge, uh, it's a challenge, but it's an exciting challenge. What more can we do? In all that's happening in homelessness, uh, with homelessness in Salt Lake City, if you took away the faith community, the churches in the faith community, how big a difference does it make? Taking away the faith community from homeless services in Salt Lake would be tremendous and would be sad. And I think sometimes people think to uh, forget the fact that homeless shelters, all homeless shelters, were first faith-based and started by people of faith. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later, including the Road Home, and it wasn't until later that other organizations, secular organizations, took them over. Um, from my experience, the more people, the better. Church people set a much better tone. They've been trained. They know they're coming from a much different place that's not cold and clinical, uh, like, a, like, a, like a social worker that's been trained or like a state official. We need part and parcel, a partnership with the faith community. And again, the faith community is a massively untapped uh, organization that could help with this issue. Mm. Person by person, project by project. Mm. Every little bit helps greatly. Mm -hmm. This morning, we're going to go and do likewise. That was the words of Jesus. I didn't make that up. This church didn't make it up. Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's the way he ended that parable about the Good Samaritan. I'm going to ask our ushers to pass out these envelopes so that every person gets one. And just hold on to it. Don't, don't open it. Uh, until we all have it in our hands, okay? Go ahead, pass those out, would you, ushers? Thank you. We didn't have an adult discipleship class today. If some of you went back to the class, you saw there was a sign with these envelopes on the table because sometimes after we've learned a lot and we've read a lot and we've studied a lot, we can't just think about it, talk about it. We need to go do something. Christian faith is a faith that's lived, not just a set of principles uh, to believe in, but something that we also do, showing love to one another as God has shown love to us. And so today, our class really involves all of us. It's for all of us to go out and uh, for all of us to uh, 
our class is going to be taken to the streets. Do we all have those? Okay. Go ahead and open your, uh, your instructions, your marching orders, your mission paper. There's actually two things in this envelope. And look at the larger one first, the, the large sheet that says, Go and do likewise. Hold on to just that small sheet. Today, September 25th, uh, our local missions team and our leadership here at Mount Olympus Church has identified six things for us to choose from that we can do today. Not tomorrow, not next Friday, not sometime, but things to do today to respond to this series that we've been doing. You will always have the poor. Choose one of these six things, you, your spouse, your family, and do those. The first is just going and cleaning out your closets or your kitchen drawers and putting those things together and taking them to a place where they're serving homeless people and they will benefit from our excess. Number two, going to some of the websites that are on the back of this sheet, looking at the lists of needs that they're looking for, go out, purchase those things, put them together, and take them to them. Anybody can do that. Uh, Number three, providing a meal or a hygiene kit or even clean socks to a homeless or needy person. Pamela Atkinson, two weeks ago, talked about just the importance of clean socks, warm socks for a homeless person. Dare you go to Liberty Park or Pioneer Park or maybe some other place you know there might be someone who would benefit from that? Buying groceries, donating groceries for families. Number five, putting together a cleaning or move-in kit for families at Palmer Court, which is the road home's permanent uh, apartment housing development. And then the sixth has to do with pets for the homeless. We've learned how important pets were. That was new for me. That's not a frivolous thing, but how important pets are for the homeless. Uh, On the back, there are all different places, resources where you can look to that will guide you, places that you can take these things. But this is something to do today, to go and do likewise. That's why I've been saying, keep a couple hours in your day. We don't have to do any of this. It's up to you. But it's a day to respond uh, in faithfulness to Jesus in whatever way. The small paper that you have has to do with next week. Whoever you come into contact with, whatever organization, we hope that next week you'll come and write that name down on a piece of paper, a card that you'll be provided. It'll be easy to access as you come into the gathering area. We're going to put those on a cross and we're going to pray for all the poor next week and all the people and all the organizations that we came into contact with because prayer is important in this church and whatever we do. That'll be next week's exercise. So, Go and do likewise. Let's pray for Tony, shall we? Extend your right hands as a sign of blessing as we pray for him and lift up him and all those who are homeless and that are being ministered to. God, we pray that through Tony and Family Promise and Utah Community Action Council and other organizations, the homeless would be blessed. And that the cycle of homelessness would be broken for many families. Encourage Tony's spirit and his strength and his mind and his vision. 
Bless those who work around him and others throughout this city. We pray, God, that we would be people who serve the poor and who bless the homeless. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today.